Hey, and welcome back to the Urban Kingdom Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Urban Educators Collective. If you listened to the last episode, then you know a little bit about the Urban Educators Collective. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I would encourage you to do so, so you can hear a little bit about who we are and what we do. But no intro today. Um, It feels a little weird to do an intro and then cut back to me. (laughs) Um, And so hopefully these solo episodes, um, you know, we don't have as many of them in the near future, but I am excited to share about believing in young people. Um, If you were, again, here last time, you know that I have this very, very radical belief that young people are worth believing in. You might hear that and think, that's not radical, Keyshawn. Why would you say that? And the truth is, there's just a lot of people who maybe even subconsciously just do not believe in the young people of today. Well, a little bit of background about me and how I came to my beliefs about young people I grew up here in the city of York and went to a high school of 1,700 kids. And before that, I was in a middle school of 700 kids and so on and so forth. And so I've always been fully immersed and surrounded by by young people. And at that point, I was young like them and still am in a way. 26 isn't very old, you know. I remember when I was 18, I would make fun of all the 26-year-olds in my life. And now here I am, right? But I'm not a kid. And in many ways, 16-year-olds, they're kids. They're young adults, but they're kids, you know, and in no way, respect, way, shape, or form is, am I a kid? You know, I've now grown up and I'm an adult. I'm responsible for my decisions. When I do something dumb, people look at me like I'm dumb. When I do something smart, uh, nobody cares, right? And that's just uh, what it's like to be an adult. Well, young people deserve to be celebrated. It's why we do graduations. It's why we do milestones. It's why we celebrate. It's why they go on reward field trips, right? I mean, we we celebrate young people because we want them to know that we are proud of them. But the reality is, is that at a deep sense, I have gathered from working with young people over the last seven years that they do not feel believed in. They do not feel like the adults in their life like them. They do not feel like adults get their generation. And, you know, you could ask anybody that knows me when I walk into a fundraiser, I'm no longer working at the school I was working at last year. If I walk back into that building, you know, everybody's like, oh, Keyshawn's here. And they don't bring it up to be proud or anything because in many ways people haven't seen the times I've been cussed out in my office for not understanding a young person, the times I've been accused by these same young people that were adoring me in that public space of not listening to them. And so no one here is an expert. You know, I'm not sharing today as a seasoned veteran. I just want you to know that when I share today, I'm going to share, when I share today, I'm going to be sharing from the heart. I'm going to be sharing without abandon. You know, I'm not going to hold back. And so I welcome you to reach out and have conversation with me about things that you hear today. If you have questions, concerns, rebuttals, we're going to get right into it. I want to give you a few statements here. And uh, if I could see you, I'd say I would see how you react, right? But Um, What comes to mind when you hear these statements? I believe in young people, and I believe that they're worth believing in. Okay, we already heard that one, right? I believe if you have high expectations of young people, more often than not, if they are motivated and empowered, they will meet or exceed those expectations. Okay, I'll say it again. If you have high expectations of young people, more often than not, if they are motivated and empowered, they will meet or exceed those expectations. Here's one more statement for you. Most teachers, youth leaders, and missionaries fail to shepherd young people in cities because they don't believe in the people they're interacting with. Ooh, right? 
That third one's a little pointed, isn't it? And I offer no apologies for that because I get talked to quite a bit from people who listen to the podcast and they say this exact thing. I don't feel like the young people I work with feel, you know, I don't have a connection with them or I don't know how to help them or so on and so forth. And so we offer this podcast to help. But in order to help, we have to get to the problem, right? I'm not here today to say that I believe the number one problem, bar none, is that young people aren't believed in. But I can confirm that it is one of the greatest issues, not just in Anabaptist ministry, not just in ministry, okay, but in, in the world. And we're in a position where your impact on the young people around you, whether you be related to them, whether they be kids in your kids club, whether they be just kids on the street that you have a small interaction with, you have a, you have a chance to greatly alter their confidence and greatly alter their motivations in ways that can change their lives. And the thing is, we can't measure these things. If we're looking for results-based, um, you know, listen to this podcast and you go and you'll, you'll be able to reach a whole bunch more young people, you know, and you'll have these results. We're not selling you a, a business plan here. We're not selling you here. We're not marketing results. The reality is, is you don't get to see you know, the fruit of your labor in these regards. But thankfully, I do have a few stories. I do have a few things that I can share um, that are publicly shareable. 90% of the successes and victories that I've encountered with young people have happened in my office and are not shareable because they're in, they're in confidence. Everything that happens in my mentoring room is in confidence. I will never, ever, ever share them without their permission. And so, you know, there's only a few things I really can share. Um, but as a mentor, I was a mentor for three years at Tidings of Peace. I, when I went to Faith Builders, I was I was begging God, begging um, at the time my mentor, Clayton Shank, um, to let me be a mentor there at the school. And he encouraged me, you know, go to Faith Builders for two years, graduate and come back and you can do that. And then when I got back, he said, do two years of teaching and you can do that. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, Clayton. Like, I'm just so hungry to be able to sit in a room and encourage these young people and tell them that they're worth it. You know, and I just felt like my life had positioned me uniquely to be able to minister and connect with them. And honestly, that was my experience. Every year that I taught or mentored in my um, five to six years of teaching and mentoring um, felt like a, <laughs> it, it felt amazing. You know, it felt like I was able to connect in such a real and honest and nearly effortless way at times. Um, but don't be fooled. Working with young people is exhausting, you know, and, and having switched careers, um, being able to take a deep breath has been uh, refreshing because, you know, there's a lot that you put up with when you stand up and take the bullets for young people and their bad decisions, you know, and it, there's a lot that goes into convincing young people that they need to make better decisions and gaining the trust, gaining the equity to be able to do something like that in and of itself is a full-time job. And then we all have to go out and make a living on the end of it, right, and raise our own families. And so I also, when I was very young, my first job at um, Kids Club was um, Bible memory, and I became a leader in my Kids Club class. And a year or two later, I ended up helping assist lead Vacation Bible School. A couple years after that, I ended up directing it. Um, I was involved in the Big Brother program. And so on and so forth. You get the idea. My entire Christian walk the last 13 years has been flooded with countless opportunities to invest in young people. I want to share a few stories here with you today to try to inspire you to believe what I believe, um, that young people are worth believing in. So let's start with this one, you know, this belief that they're worth believing in. 
um, you know, most young people are more motivated, interesting, and willing than they let on. And this is something that I learned more potently in the the tail end of my 13 years so far, having invested in young people. When I say 13 years, I mean it. I get that I'm young, but I became a big brother in our big brother program when I was 13. And um, (laughs) that's no joke. It was a bad decision, but I don't regret it because it helped shape and make what I became. And I didn't hurt anyone in the process, which is really the main concern when you have someone that young involved in some kind of ministry is who are they going to be hurting through their negligence? Still, I'm still in reach from my little brother today, um, to this day. Most young people are very cynical, very, um, you know, they, they talk so negatively and they they can easily drag you down. I'm, I had a, uh, I led our mentoring program for a couple of years. <laughs> One of my mentors, she, she, she'd come into the office a couple of times and she'd say, we'd have weekly meetings and she'd say, I, I just, to be honest, I'm being bogged down by the negativity of my girls. And I would laugh because I'm like, oh, I totally get it, right? I mean, I think that I've kind of hardened or, um, you know, gained a bit of a, an extra strength when it comes to all the negativity, especially because I grew up in the same environments or worse environments than they, than they are. And so when they come in and they had nothing but negative things to say, um, it's a lot easier for me to be empathetic because I've been there. I also have the equity or the authority to say, you know what, you're using this as an excuse. We need to get going. Right. And um, that was not something that came easy for this mentor. She was incredible at her job. She, she made a very, very eternal impact with her time with the girls. But she just acknowledged that she, she often feels bogged down <laughs> by, the, by the craziness that comes in her office. Well, I do believe that it takes time for us to understand that their frustrations, their cynicism is pretty blatant, is pretty you know, extreme, explicit. Um, But sometimes it's just a facade. Sometimes it's just their way of coping. It's their, let's say, dark dark humor, right? We understand that concept. And while it's equally true that these things are dangerous, these things can um, produce real negative thoughts. Um, I, I have never shied away from telling young people that those jokes aren't funny. You know, they need to stop. You know, I've had so many wars between the guys and the girls in my classroom because of guys who liked the dark edgy humor and girls who didn't. And it it was, um, wow, I I don't miss all those things. Right. But that dark edgy attitude is really a mask for the most part. Now there are young people who I have not been able to motivate and I've not been able to reach through. I had a student in my classroom for um, several years that it just felt like I could not get the student to, to try. And, um, their parent came in to me one time and said, they can't, they can't help. They're going to let the kid do what they want to do because, um, they, they're a bad parent and, they, and they're not going to put that on their kid, which is a crazy thing to say because that by nature is hurting your kid. Right. But uh, there is nothing I could do. We, we were doing everything that we could. We were praying every day. We were having night long prayer meetings and I had solicited every prayer warrior I could. And we tried our very best you know, like I said, we cannot be results-oriented people. We have to be genuine. We have to be loving. We have to be doing it from a heart for the person. I had a student. I'm not going to give any names out today, um, but it was one of my, um, I called them the Fabulous Five, and there were five girls that I had in every year in my classroom, um, pretty much every year in my classroom when I taught. And so I followed them up through middle school into high school and taught them for a few years um, when they were in high school for social studies. I did not mentor them because I don't, 
mentor girls one-on-one, but they would come into my office by twos for advice to complain um, just about every day because I had a relationship with them. Um, I had gotten through the door. And that's one of the important things that we have to do with young people is we have to get in, okay? We can't just go up and preach at them. And that, and that is one of the reasons why there's such a disconnect between the older generation and the newer generation. The older generation, I don't know if it worked or not to just get up on a, on a street corner and start yelling at people, but I can assure you it's not working in today's generation, okay? And so using your authority doesn't work if they don't feel liked, if they don't feel trusted, if they can't trust you. Those things don't work with young people today. And so I had gotten through the door through years. I was also a student at school. So some of these girls were third graders when I was graduating high school. So, you know, they had known and seen me and I've been able to give an impression on them for many, many years. And so that had built up enough trust that I was able to work and act in the way that I did. I had people come up to me and say, how can I do that? Why can't I have a relationship with them like that? And I've said, you're coming up to, it's like going up to a, you know, a parent and saying, why can't your kid admire me? You know, and it's just, it's such a strange question because there's so much that was put into that relationship. Um, So many memories that were created and people get so impatient, so, so impatient. And they don't want to put in the work. They don't want to put in the decades to love someone. And so they move into places for a couple of years and expect to leave their mark on the world in those two years. And I'm just sorry, it's just not going to happen. You know, people are pretty sensibly pessimistic with encouragement that comes from strangers. And so when someone comes up to me and um, I don't know them and they say, oh, you're, you're awesome. You can do it. Keep going in life. It just doesn't have the same quality or the same worth as it does coming from my mom or does coming from my brother or coming from a student that I've invested in. It just doesn't. And um, so I, I understand why young people aren't so easily wooed and convinced that they're, that they're worth it. And I think people that are going into kids' clubs, going into schools, have to put in more effort into being genuine and being real. If you have to get to the door, you have to get an in. You have to find a way to build equity. You also have to be real. So this student, we created a program, and... <laughs> It was called the initiatives program, and the whole vision behind it was to put students in positions that they could become experts in something that the staff were currently doing. Um, I I raised the concern many times until it was heard that it doesn't make sense for the staff to make the yearbook. The students can do that. It doesn't make sense for the staff to plan on the events. The students can do that. It doesn't make sense for the staff to plan the field trips because the students can do that, and they're going to do a better job at it, Okay. And maybe it was because I was in my early 20s and I was equally like, look at all these older people planning all these boring things, whatever. And I really didn't feel that way, but maybe that was a part of it. I was young. You know, we all kind of have those attitudes that the young people can do it better or funner than the older people. And that's just always going to be a thing. You know, we're going to be there one day if we're young. You know, Um I had a connection with the outcry of the students who wanted more interest, who wanted to be involved, wanted to be heard. We created a program that put them in committees, and twice a week for an hour, they would be developing, making programs. They would be investing in younger students and through tutoring. They would be planning events. They would be um, cleaning the building and decorating and planning food for the next fundraiser, so on and so forth. Every student in seventh grade and up or eighth grade and up was involved in this program for that year. I had this student who I 
again, had for several years in school come up to me with a lot of pessimism. She didn't have a great relationship with every, every teacher in the school. And she didn't believe that this was a good idea because she didn't think we could execute on it. And I convinced her that if she would stick through it and do her best, she'd love it by the end of the school year. So that next year came around and we went through with it. I put her in the education program, which is older students going and tutoring and helping in the kindergarten and first grade classrooms. And um, a few months in, I went up to her and I said, how's it going? And I was a little scared to get her answer because she is pessimistic. She is a really negative person, mostly in a funny way, but sometimes it, it kind of shows, you know, in, in her attitude. And she said, I like it. And I, I just, all this big smile came on my face, not for me, but for her, because she, she couldn't help but admit that she was enjoying it, that she was enjoying investing in other people. Here you go, has a young person that outside of her family has never had an opportunity to invest in younger people. And just by being given the stage to do so, flourished and excelled, did an excellent job. I've had the teachers that were in those grades come to me and say they do an excellent job. They're awesome. I even had teachers that were coming and saying, could they teach a class or two? Um, obviously not for the whole year, but just for just once, you know, just for the development. It's a shame neither of those t- students that were in that um, department want to be teachers because they would they would be great teachers. And I was truly impressed with me being able to work past the pessimism because I didn't take it personally. I didn't let it bog, bog me down. It didn't become baggage on to me. I just listened to it kind of like that, you know, um, well, she calls me grandpa, but that's... Not, I don't actually like that. Um, but you could picture your grandfather listening to you complain and complain and complain. But they're unfazed. You know, they're not, they know they're burdened, but they're not phased because they've seen so much. We have to use our stability to be present, to offer presence to these young people. You know, presence is more important than words. I could have said whatever I said to her, but this particular student does not like verbal encouragement. None of the Fabulous Five did, okay? I could sit there and I could say, you guys can do it. You're worth it. You got this. It was rare that they would want to hear that. They they wanted me to just be present and hear them and listen. And um, it made it better, you know? And there were times, it was just there for lunch last week, and I talked with a couple of them, and they were asking me for advice on a few things. And I was able to encourage a student that you can do this, you can pass, you can graduate, and you just need to get up and do it. And you're worth it, you're talented, all the good stuff. And they heard it. But if I went in there every day and said that, eventually it would lose its value. Um, that's just how it was with them. And so I think I've seen that consistently in young people, in cities especially, that presence is more important than words. If they know that Mr. Washington's going to be there um, he's going to be present. He's going to help me fin- finish this. He's going to help me get through it. That's more important than me saying I'm going to be there, than me saying you can do it, than me saying you're going to pull through. Um, words can only do so much. But as we'll discuss later on, those words still are very valuable for what they can do if they're not good, if they tear down. Today's episode is sponsored by Asher Whitmer. Astro is a full-time husband, father, student, and author of Live Free. And on his blog, he shares his thoughts on following Jesus through a world full of chaos. You can find his ebook and get it free at ashwhitmer.com called Clarity and Chaos. Thoughts on reconciling our human experiences with God and his word. Second story I want to share. Um, oh, and by the way, that student is doing great now. She has a job. She's going to um, hopefully graduate 
in the school in the next couple of years. And um, yeah, just incredibly proud of her and everyone in that group. Um, they're all going to be fantastic women and hopefully women of God. Um, that's going to be their choice. Second story I wanted to share. Um, we have an event. We had an event every year called Fun Night. The first few that we threw weren't very fun for me. Um, I don't like crowds. I don't like events. Um, I did when I was younger. Um, in my older years, uh, no, not not interested. And that's ironic because I throw some of them and I throw conferences and I, I speak at them. I get it. But if I can avoid a fundraiser, I'll avoid the fundraiser, right? And my, my luck is that if I don't show up to a fundraiser, I'm getting texts wondering where I'm at, you know? But I, I just, the crowds do not, do not please me. Again, we, we had this philosophy the last few years in my involvement there that if, if the students can do it, the students should do it, period. It's just that's, that's what should happen. That is what education should be today is investment, personal involvement, we need to give them the platform and let them flourish. And so we um, decided that we were going to make the fun night be a student run event almost entirely. And what fun night is, is just a night where at the building and on the grass and whatever, it's like a, it's like a carnival, you know, there's like games and there's cotton candy and raffles and auctions and all kinds of things. I just went to it a couple weeks ago and thankfully the students are still running it, um, which is great. And they, they put months of planning into this event. Um, and unfortunately, I became very sick, ended up in the hospital. I almost died. It was very, very bad. Bad time in my life. And I um, was in the hospital for four days the week of the event. And unfortunately, my sister, who was working in my department at the time, took up a lot of work. And I've already apologized to her 300 times for that. But Autumn, I, I apologize again um, for all the work that you had to take on because of my illness. But um, the reason why it was so much work for her and our other mentor and everyone else that was empowering the young people was that it takes work to empower people. I mean, it doesn't lessen the workload on the adults. I mean, it, it actually increases it. It becomes a lot more work to teach someone to do something. But we have to think logically here. If, if I always do all the work and everything's on me and I never teach anyone, I'll always do the work. I'll always be in charge. And I, I, I hate that we as adults think that life is a rite of passage, that you don't get to do the, the work that I do until you're like me. And that's such a bad idea. You know, we need to be investing in young people in ways that by the, by the time they're at our age, they're twice as good at what, what I do. Right. That's the goal. You know, I've told people many times that I feel like God has given me a mission um, not to go overseas, not to go smuggle Bibles, not do anything, just to put people in my place, just to find people. If I'm in a leadership position, someone in this city is going to have it by the time I'm gone. That's, that's, that's the hope. That's the goal, you know, is to empower young people and give them, give them a place, um, let them take over, and then work alongside them. That was so fun just to go back to that event. I went, I went to the event that Saturday. I just got out of the hospital that day. And I was still not, not doing too well. I had to walk very slowly. And um, everybody was worried about me. But I walked around and looked at all the hard work they put into it. I looked around and looked at all the planning that we put and seeing it in real life. And realizing that these kids are brilliant. They're fantastic. And everybody here, I don't care about what, the, what it raised. I don't care about any of those things. All I care about is them getting to see just how brilliant these young people were. It was incredible. And not to mention, I, I've said earlier that I believe young people can do it better. 
And previously, this event grossed a couple thousand dollars every year. And I think all in all, they raised around eight or nine thousand dollars through their work, through their energy. And so they raised four times what the staff in previous years had raised. And why? Because they're brilliant, right? They brought young energy. They brought new ideas. They brought passion. They brought interest. They wanted to prove themselves. And they did it. I had a girl, not a part of the Fabulous Five, wasn't have her homeroom there, but I did teach her for a couple of years in social studies. Um, really, really talented, intelligent young lady. Um, a lot of influence on the younger on the younger girls in, in the classroom. And sometimes that worked out really well, and sometimes it was like, oh, my goodness. But I had some really, really good adult conversations with her. Um, and one of them was about fun night, and we put her in charge of prizes, and I did everything I could to just give her complete control. Um, I did one of the funnest things I ever did as a, as a authority. I gave her a card that you have $100, fill up the Amazon cart, and buy what you want. Um, just be smart about it. And I did that. And one of my fellow coworkers heard, heard I did it. And they're like, what are you doing? You're crazy. It's going to be so inefficient and so non-cost effective and blah, blah, blah. And I showed them what I had done. I had made a cart too of what I thought was best. And I said, watch her do better than me. Watch her do better than I just did. And two hours go by and I go back and um, I'm not sure we had so much time. We had like three hours of initiative time that Friday. And um, she shows me what she got, and it was way, way better than what I could have dreamt up. I mean, she was getting stuffed animals at a good cost and bulk and showing me that if we bought from this site instead, then you can get this much more, and these are higher quality based on these reviews, and so much passion. And then that night, I mean, the next the next week when fun night happened, <laughs> I went over to her stand, and she's just glowing in excitement to hand out these stuffed or, or these uh, blow-up guitars toys, right, to these kids, and the kids are having a blast. Again, a young person that has never had an opportunity to bring smiles to kids' faces just by being given the platform flourished and did way better than any teacher could have done, okay? And so, again, if we give them a stage, we can watch them prance. We can watch them succeed. We can watch them sell the arenas. They are capable but they have to be given the stage. They have to be motivated. They have to be get being told, be told, and then you have to be present to show them that they can do it, and you're going to be there to help them. You know that event was incredible, and um, man, I just don't know if I were seeing anything like it again to see all of those kids, all those young people, um, just completely lead like rock stars. The last thing I want to share here is what does it mean to go humbly and not blame them, but blame ourselves. You know, I was taught by a man named Patrick Heatwall when I was in training to be a teacher. It is always a teacher's responsibility to help a student succeed. If they're not learning something, it's a teacher's responsibility. It doesn't mean it's their fault, right? There can be things going on. Like I said, I've had students that I just was convinced um, and by the end that there were there are mitigating factors. You know, there were things going on that we couldn't control. We had to pray against and hope that they change. There are all students that I failed, students that I did not do well with. That I could, looking back, I realized I could have done better if I would have had them at twenty six, as opposed to twenty one. Right? I think if that attitude could permeate 
through all ministry, through all kids' clubs, we'd see so much more success. You know, if we could believe that I am responsible to try to bring success and um, to bring this to pass, to help this work out, we, we'd see so much more success. You know, young people, they have a sixth sense, a sixth sense. Almost, It sounds like something like sixth sense, but anyway, um, it, sometimes it is a sixth sense um, for doubt in their authorities. You know, it's very difficult to repair, and I know there's some experience in trying to be a middleman between um, frustrated staff and frustrated students that, um, real on the student side, you know, I'm not in authority over the staff or anything, but just trying to, con- you know, talk with that student and help them, you know, just comply or just, you know, not take it so seriously. My motto in my mentoring room was, it's not that serious, you're overreacting. But I had a student once that told me that they're not overreacting because they're not, they don't feel believed in. They feel like a failure. They feel like they're just, you know, a, worthless and that their that their authorities make them feel that way they don't believe in them and I could have looked back at him and I could have said well you know so and so the reason they think that way is because you're kind of a menace in the classroom and you intentionally mess things up on purpose for attention and but that's not my heart that's not I understood where he was coming from and um the little the little flash of success that I saw in this student um, and the time that I worked with him, all correlated with times of trust that we put in him to succeed and times of um, empowerment for him to be able to show that he can do it. We, uh, often, this, the, it's the opposite. We punish, we take away, we restrict. Teach him a lesson. That'll show him. You're not going to get these rewards if you don't work for it. And I'm just, I promise you, it will not work on this generation. It's not going to happen. They're going to buck against it, and they're going to win. And the problem with that is that it's going to lead to failure. It's going to lead to heat. It's going to lead to evil. It's going to lead to them going down paths in life that are not good. But in the moment, if you want to battle wills, if you want to battle um, punishment and negative reinforcement, they will take that and spit it back in your face. It, it is the day of social media. I've seen students. Um, trash their teachers, including me, on social media. <laughs> and, and trust me, I'm not looking for it. I don't. I don't friend request these these students, right? But they'll, they'll you know, I'll, I'll come across like so and so made a, a burn post on so and so, and blah blah blah. And it's just they use their resources to fight back, and it's just not a good idea to use negative reinforcement. We have to be positively reinforcing young people. You know, the reason the American prison system is so broken compared to other prison systems is that we treat punishment like a remedy. We treat punishment like, or we treat labor as a rite of passage. And I'm telling you, I'm not advocating for a welfare mentality, but I believe that we need to have a, a close look at how we run our programs and how we treat people and realize that we need to be more generous. We need to be more empowering and offer more to young people than we've been offering. Nearly nothing can heal a relationship between an authority and their pupil if the pupil, especially in cities, feels like they're not liked, not trusted, and not believed in. It, it is a death blow. It, it, it is crippling. Once you have thoroughly convinced them that you don't like them, you don't believe in them, even if it's not true, even if you're just not communicating properly, it is very difficult to repair that. 
words are not going to be enough. You know, I mean, you're going to have to be able to show over time that you're invested, that you're there, that you care, um, that you're present, that when they go and tackle something, they have support. Man, if we can provide support systems for young people, we'll change their life. You know, they're, they're worth it. They're worth believing in. You can call this them being thin-skinned, the new generation being soft, whatever you want to call it. But um, Scripture speaks to this as well. Um, you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You know, uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only, um, what is it, such as well as for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who listen. You know, these things are written in, in our belief. They're written in our faith. Um, I already told you earlier that I'm, I'm not convinced that words are enough, that, that I think we need to be more present than we are loud and preachy. It does not mean that our words don't matter. It does not mean that our words do not have power. You know, your, your presence, trustability, and godliness will mean more to them than the words you use. You can't build a strong relationship with these young people just by your words but you can destroy them with your words. You can destroy not just the relationship, but their potential to the things that you say. It's like trust. It takes forever to build, but a second to crush. I'll end with this story. You know, my uh, late mentor and uh, father figure in my life, Clayton Shank, told a story of a time he was sitting with his English teacher or, you know, don't get hung up on the details because I might not be remembering it properly, but... He was sitting with somebody, and that teacher was investing in him. And don't 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 get it twisted. Clayton was a was a mischievous kid in school, you know. And um, you know, there are, in many ways he had he had earned the frustration he was getting. But a teacher walking by peeked into the room and said, "Why are you working with him?" And the teacher that was with him said, because he's good. Because he's good. And those words were some of the most permeating and long-lasting encouraging words that Clayton had ever held on to. I heard him tell this story a hundred times. It's what motivated him to become a teacher. It's what motivated him to do what he did in life. You know, he cared too much about words. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But those words were powerful. And, uh, you know, I would venture to say that it wasn't just the words, but it was the presence. I'm here helping you right now because I believe in you. And um, that today is what I'm trying to share, is that that is worth giving to young people, that they are worth it. And if you give them, if you have high expectations of them, you're present, you believe in them, you listen, more often than not, they're going to rise up and likely exceed your expectations.